Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Today's podcast is sponsored by the people at Aura.com. Now, Aura offers identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all in one easy-to-use app. This means that if your online accounts or passwords are leaked online, you'll be alerted quickly, which means that you can be secure from hackers, scammers, and noisy advertising companies. The narcissists are everywhere. Literally, a friend of mine signed up and Aura found his passwords nine times on the dark web. So go to Aura.com slash Dr. Carter. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash D-R Carter. And use my link and you'll receive a free 14-day trial. And if you continue, then you'll be able to save an additional 40% off all plans. So thanks to the people at Aura.com for sponsoring this episode. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Surviving Narcissism podcast with your host, Dr. Les Carter. I'm Michaela, the program director, and in today's episode, Dr. Carter is joined by Dr. Stephanie Sarkis to discuss healing from toxic relationships. Well, good day to you, Team Healthy, and I'm so pleased to have you here with us once again. I have a really special guest that I want to introduce you to over the uh, the airwaves here, and it's Dr. Stephanie Sarkis, and she is the author of an excellent book. It's, it's entitled Healing from Toxic Relationships, and I've spoken with her some before we came on the air. She's a delightful person and uh, has uh, quite a bit of a following out there. Uh, first, Stephanie, thank you so much for being a part of, uh, of our Surviving Narcissism team here now. I'm pleased to have you on the air with us today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Okay. Now you're in the Tampa, uh, Florida area, right? I am. And I, okay. I was looking over your bio and uh, apparently you are a University of Florida person through and through. You're a Gator, right? <laughs> yes. Bachelor's I degree, definitely... bachelor's degree, PhD, and then an extra certification <laughs> all from the University of Florida. <laughs> I had gators on my wedding cake. That's how much of a gator I am. <laughs> Well, as long as long as you don't have gators in your closet or under your right. bed, then you're okay. <laughs> okay. You never know. Gators on your wedding cake, huh? Yep. You, you know what? You're the first person I've ever spoken to that's told me that. Oh, so really? That makes you unique, right? So yeah. Okay. Now, like I say, you've written this book called Healing from Toxic Relationships. Mm -hmm. And just right there, it says so much. Uh, before we get into that. 
Uh, tell us what did it, what it, what, what was it that prompted you to write a book such as that in the first place? I've noticed over a, about 20 years or plus of practice that more people are mentioning experiencing emotional abuse, especially people that have ADHD and anxiety and depression. And then the word gaslighting started becoming a commonly used word. And people were starting to contact me and say, I think I'm being gaslit in my relationship. I wrote an article about signs of gaslighting for Psychology Today, and that went viral. So a lot of people were really hungry for this information. And that led into the gaslighting book, which led into the healing from toxic relationships. Because now we know what gaslighting is. So how do we extract ourselves from these relationships? What can we do if we can't extract ourselves? How do we handle that? And how do we move forward from there and heal from it? Okay. Um, and, and in your book, you talk quite a bit about the narcissist, obviously, because when you're talking about toxicity, you're talking about high control people and selfishness and manipulation, et cetera. And, and uh, there, there it is right there. Um, I want to, I want to give a direct quote uh, from your book, page one, line one. Okay. And because uh, to me, it just kind of is one of those sentences. It's a grabber. You, you just simply start your book by saying nobody expects to be involved in a toxic relationship. And when I, I read, you remember uh, Scott Peck's book, The Road, uh, Road Less Traveled, uh, his mm -hmm. opening line was, life is hard. And it's like, right. uh, Stephanie, you just came up with a really strong uh, opener here. Mm -hmm. Nobody expects to be involved in a toxic relationship. Let's start right there. And uh, I want you to describe to me what that one dynamic does to a person when they eventually figure out, hey, wait a minute, this isn't anywhere close to what I thought I was getting myself mm -hmm. into. I think that love bombing in the beginning where you're told you're the most wonderful person or you're the most wonderful employee or you're the most wonderful whatever relationship it is, that's really intoxicating to people. Who doesn't like being told how wonderful they are? So you get into the relationship and then the rules start changing. You start being devalued. You start having uh, the person pick on you for things. And we naturally, as humans, focus on what did we do wrong because this person was treating us well and now they're not. So it can be a, a real startling, shocking thing to know that this person has changed so much that the person that you fell in love with is not the person you're with. And also, if your family has gotten attached to this person, who do you have to go to? Because I've had clients that will go to their family members and say, there's something not right with this relationship. This person has changed. And they'll say, oh, but they're so nice. We've got, always gone along with them. So it can create a lot of isolation for people. And no one is immune to this type of relationship. I've oh. seen people with pretty healthy family of origins that had productive, happy lives, had good relationships, and they still wound up with this person that did not have their best interest in mind. Oh, it, it's it's so, I mean, the possibilities are so broad. I mean, uh, the implication is you can have a romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. Or you can get into a social circle and seemingly have that best buddy. And all of a sudden over time, it's like, mm, that didn't work out or a work uh, situation. You thought, oh, this is my dream job only to find out down the road. And then there's another dynamic. Uh, and I'm sure in your counseling practice, you've heard this one. I I've had people that will come into their adult years and as they're comparing their own childhood to what they're hearing from everybody else, it's like, well, I kind of just used to think that what I had was just sort of the norm. Didn't everybody yell uh, or didn't everybody right. argue like we did or get shunned? Mm -hmm. And then over time they realize, well, wait a minute, 
that wasn't very healthy either. And so there can be that uh, epiphany that comes upon mm -hmm. them. So when, when we look at that, eventually uh, we begin realizing toxicity is not what I want to do with my life. Um, what I'd like to do is I, I want you to see, and I, I, I went through your checklist. You have a, uh, a, a very extensive checklist about, you know, what to look for and that uh, shows we're in a toxic relationship. What are some of the primary indicators that we can watch for that says this is a relationship that's not healthy? And uh, the, the more of these that you can check, then the worse uh, you may, worse, worse trouble you may be in. What are some of the primary ones that stand out to you? That process of love bombing or idealization, devaluing, and discard. There's generally three phases. So and you, you have are that treated, in your book too, don't you? Yeah, you're you're put on a pedestal. You fall off the pedestal. And it's a long way down, and then the person will have relationships going at the same time as yours. They will drop you like a hot potato. Then they'll hoover you or try to suck you back in. That's a sign of it. You're around this person, and you leave just feeling really confused and just not very good about yourself types of people are energy vampires. When you're around somebody that's healthy, you tend to get energy from them. You feel better about yourself. You have a, you have better self-esteem even. And this type of person just leaves you feeling kind of like a shell. You may have trusted friends or family that say to you, hey, you know what? Something's changed since you've been with this person. It just, it doesn't seem like, like you're the same, that you something's, something's getting to you. Uh, also, you may find that you are sliding into unhealthy coping mechanisms. Like you may be drinking more. You may be uh, going online and, and kind of absorbing yourself into social media because you it's hard to cope with what's going on at home. You may find that you're denying yourself self-care practices. You're being told that taking care of yourself is a selfish thing. Uh, you're being told that working away from the home, that you need to not do that anymore because it's taking time away from this person getting attention from you. Just whittling away, whittling away, whittling yes. away who you are. Yeah. Yes. Uh, hitting you against people. That's uh, another common one I see. Well, in fact, uh, by the way, just as an aside, when you were mentioned talking about, you know, you walk away feeling worse. Uh, my wife and I had dinner with another couple and, and we've known them, but uh, we're getting to know them even better now. And I, we, we'd gone to a nice restaurant and came home and both of us said that pretty close to the same thing. It's like, what a delightful couple they are. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they showed interest and asked interesting questions. And we had stimulating conversation. And that's what you want, right. uh, whether it's inside your family or marriage or friendships or work. Um, but with the that toxic person, you can kind of come home thinking, I think I need to take a shower. <laughs> Get all right. Stuff off or of what it, just you know? happened? Yeah. What yeah. was that all about? Right. Right. Uh, I want to run through some of the things that you mentioned in your book that uh, mm -hmm. that kind of stand out to me. Uh, you mentioned that when you're in that toxic relationship, uh, you feel belittled by that person's words or actions. You feel sabotaged, like they're trying to undermine you. What, tell me what that's all about. What their greatest fear is that you're going to take attention away from them. So they will do things to make sure that you're going to stick around. So one of the things that I say that's most common with my clients is they'll have a big job interview. They'll have their first day of, an, of a new job that they're very excited about. And this person will keep them up at night, the night before, pick a fight so that they're exhausted the next day and they're preoccupied and they don't have sabotage. Yeah. Yeah. Absolute sabotage. And especially when the person is having an opportunity that may make them more independent. This person will do whatever they can to make that person feel bad 
Again, sleep deprivation is something I commonly see with toxic people. Mm. Uh, they use it as kind of a form of torture. Uh, and Or anytime during the holidays when people are having a good time, they will make sure that they bring up a very embarrassing thing in front of the family about this person. They will pick on this person. Uh, they will do things to make sure that everyone's kind of as miserable as they are. So they make sure that everyone is thinking about them and they become they become the you know the main character basically and so they can take energy from everybody and feed this insatiable need for attention you know this is nowhere close to the first time i've heard something like this but every time i hear someone like yourself enumerate this you know it just makes me think who would do this right. and yet right there they are Mm -hmm. And uh, some of them are really good at what they do. Mm -hmm. um, so basically what I'm hearing you say is one of the things they want to do is they want to keep you in a state of confusion, which is, uh, and I'm, I'm going to get your gaslighting book here, uh, not too in the far distant future on that one too. Uh, they want to, uh, for you to not believe in yourself, don't trust yourself, because if you do, you're, you're probably going down the wrong path. You're stupid. You don't know what you do. Where'd you come up with an idea like that? Right. Um, what do you say? I mean, what do you notice uh, emotionally happens to a person when, let's say it's inside a very tight relationship, when they've been exposed to something like this, not for days or weeks, but for months or years mm -hmm. uh, over an extended period of time? What does that, what kind of damage are we talking about? It can really cause people to question their intuition, that gut feeling that tells you this person's not good for me, this situation I need to extract myself from. You've had the toxic person tell you over and over again that you're crazy, not to trust your intuition. So you start relying more and more on the toxic person for their version of reality. So you're less likely to leave because you're told that you're just being too sensitive or, you know, you just need to you know, not be so difficult. And so people will stay also because of this trauma bond you have where you have uh periods of, of emotional violence or even physical violence. And then you have periods of, of where the person is trying to hoover you back in and some positive reinforcement. So it can be really confusing. Okay, ex for, explain for that word hoovering because uh, sure. uh, some, some sure. people in our audience may not understand what that mm -hmm. is. Sure. Uh, hoovering like the Hoover vacuum, they, they try to suck you back in. So if you have someone that is toxic and they are seeking that attention, that narcissistic void, they need to get filled by attention from people. When you try to leave, they will try to suck you back in, uh, regardless of, of even if they um, know that you're leaving, if they know that you have a plan and a place to live, they will still try to suck you back in because they don't like facing the fact that they may not get that what's called narcissistic supply to their ego. So they even if they have other relationships like going on at the same time, they'll do it. Oh, I didn't really mean that. Or uh, you're taking it too seriously or don't mm -hmm. be so sensitive. Right. And that's part of that hoovering then. Right. They rarely apologize, though. They usually don't say, I'm sorry I did this and this is how I'm going to work on that. They'll say something like, well, I'm sorry you're so sensitive. Yeah, I'm you sorry you can't take a way. joke. Right. You read it the wrong way. Yeah. 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 Or, or what you saw and heard isn't what you saw and heard. I don't know where you're getting that from. And they will do things like mail you things. You know, like if you left something at their house, it's something of little consequence, they'll mail it to you just to let you know that they're still around. They will use flying monkeys or people that, that you have in common. And you'll have a friend, that, a mutual friend that goes, you know what, so-and-so really misses you and really wishes that, that you guys were back together. And it's a way to reel you back in because they really want that attention. And I've seen Hoover's uh, happen 
a few months after a breakup to about 30 years after a breakup. It really depends on if they're low on that ego supply. Or, come around. or and I'm not joking when I say this, or an hour. After, or an hour, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, we had a bad yeah. argument and yeah. uh, and that person's saying, I, I can't do this anymore. And so that mm -hmm. uh, that narcissistic person is like, come on, uh, right. you know, I love you or, you know, everything's okay. Or uh, you're just, right. you're, you're uh, over, overreacting. But never an apology. Yeah. Or, or even if it is an apology, it's a, it's mm -hmm. a qualified, it's what I, it's yes. the classic uh, non-apology apology. Right. It's never ownership of the behavior. Yeah, you got it. You know, one, one of the common things that people will say, and I want to hear your comments on this, mm -hmm. when I am around that person, sometimes I feel like I, I've become someone other than who I really am, or maybe I don't mm -hmm. even recognize who I am anymore. Right. Uh, how does that happen? And, and what have you noticed when you've talked with people like that? I think there's different facets to it. I think there's a, a part of it where you are told that who you are is not good enough. So you keep trying to bend yourself into the shape that they want you to be in, even though that person is never going to be satisfied. But we keep trying because, again, that's human nature. Uh, there's also the part that uh, that you are becoming a shell of yourself. And you also may even say, you know what, this person is being toxic towards me. I'm going to react the same way to them. Because you've tried reasoning with people. You've tried explaining your feelings. You're told your feelings aren't valid. And so people will start having the same behavior. And that can be a real conflict for people because they'll say, you know what, this is not who I am. This does not fit with my values and beliefs to give this person back a taste of their own medicine. And it doesn't work anyway because you can't out-toxify a toxic person. They know this routine. They've done this before. There's a playbook that they, it oh, seems like they use. I so appreciate you saying that. It's the old... Um... Uh, uh, idea of uh, don't jump in the pig pen with the and wrestle with the pig because mm -hmm. you wind up getting really muddy and the pig loves it right yeah. <laughs> right right yeah they look for a fight about, mm -hmm. they look for a fight yeah if you do the gray rock method where you just react with nothing and boredom then they get confused because they are looking for some kind of of emotion to siphon off of you yeah, let's let's pick up on that because you mm -hmm. you were alluding to that just a minute ago. They want you to get angry, yes. and they want you to be anxious or tense or confused. Why is that? They are getting this dopamine rush from getting that kind of of heightened emotional arousal. So there are studies showing that people that are true sociopaths, narcissists. We, as, as non-sociopathic, non-narcissist people, we usually get dopamine boost from petting our dog or cat or playing with our kids or doing a good job at work. This type of person gets a dopamine boost from controlling and manipulating other people. And they especially do it if they feel like they've got a high value target. Meaning if it's somebody that is doing pretty well in life, uh, they're successful, they see that as a big quote unquote get. So the, the higher you are in, in the professional world or just personal world, the more that they can dismantle you, the more of a high they get from that. Yeah. So some of it's it's biologically driven that that's where they get their their brain kind of boost of feel good chemicals from manipulating and controlling other people. I, I had a friend that I'm, and um, I won't say his name because some folks might know because he's uh, had some prominence, but he was saying that um, when his first book came out 
and it, it turned out to be a, a nice seller and it did well and it uh, mm -hmm. and people really liked it. He was at his office and, and it was in a, a psychological kind of a place. He was in his office and uh, they were having lunch and one of the people just started doing the uh, the joking, oh, you think you're all that. But then over time, it's like that person wasn't joking. They, they, it was it was a put down. Mm -hmm. And then some right. other folks started joining in with the um, mm -hmm. uh, laughing and making fun of it. Mm -hmm. And this guy was, uh, and this guy's a, a, a very solid individual, but he says, you know, over time it, it just wears me out. And I wanted to right. say, just shut up. Um, but right. then you come off looking like an idiot, which is exactly what they hope, but there's just some folks and this is that toxicity. It's like, I don't like seeing you do well. Uh, I'd like seeing me do well and your mm -hmm. success becomes a, a negative reflection That's on right. me. And so mm -hmm. it's in their vested interest to criticize or to ridicule or ignore or right. shun or triangulate or go behind your right. back. Is that something right. you would say is pretty Yes. Common? And, and speaking to that too, the people around them may be afraid of them and they don't want to become a target because they know what this person can do to them. So like you're talking about your friend that his coworkers or other people around him were kind of joining in on the joking. Some of it is from a real fear that this person could get them fired or this person could make their life otherwise very difficult. That doesn't make it okay, uh, but it explains a little bit about how much power this person can have to really influence whether someone even stays at their job or not. Uh, they can make workplace life uh, to the point where people just need to leave because this person yeah. has made their work life so difficult. Okay. Now with what we're saying here, the implication is that there's something going on behind the scenes in that toxic narcissistic person's life that they're not accessing and they won't admit and they won't come to terms with. But if you or I are exposed to those individuals, we need to know what that something is. Right. Uh, in other words, you just mentioned fear uh, or shame or hidden anger or inadequacy. What do you see going on behind the scenes in the life and the world of that toxic person that they don't want to have to admit or come to terms with? I think a lot of it has to do with control, power and control, uh, and feeling that they can influence some, someone to the point where they fall apart. Um, again, I think that sometimes this personality, they get a real high off of dismantling people. and I, it's my feelings. There's two different kinds of people that do this. One is that they learn this from their family of origin and their, their parents have behaved this way. So they learn these behaviors, these toxic behaviors as a way to survive that dysfunctional childhood, but they're continuing to use these behaviors into adulthood where they're very toxic. Uh, then you have people, I think they're just born with what I call bad brain wiring. Uh, and they will get that high off of controlling people. So I think it ultimately comes down to first, uh, not having the ability to recognize that they are doing this. So if you think of like ego syntonic personality, so we have ego dystonic and ego syntonic. So you and I would, you know, just from our short period of talking, I would say that you probably have an ego dystonic personality where we, you know, if we do something that doesn't, isn't congruent with our values and beliefs, like let's say we rob a bank, we feel kind of funny about that, right? We we feel like we probably should turn ourselves in. No, Ego dystonic. Yeah, you develop a conscience. Thank you. Ego syntonic is uh, everyone else has a problem and I'm fine. 
Yeah. And you're less likely to seek help if you really believe that everyone else is overreacting or everyone else needs to get a sense of humor, whatever the defense mechanism is. Uh, so people are less likely to seek help if they think that they're not a problem. If you if you look at the continuum of narcissism, we get down to narcissistic personality disorder. One of the signs that is egocentric. So they will not admit that there's a problem. They really don't think that ego defense is so built up and that narcissistic injury is so big that they have a hard time even processing the fact that they're in the wrong. And that's a very difficult thing to treat. And it's uh, and just getting someone into therapy is very difficult when they don't think they have an issue. On our website, survivingnarcissism.tv, we offer various courses. One of them is entitled, This is Me, Establishing Boundaries Despite the Controllers in Your Life. Inside each of my courses, I break it down into modules, and then each module consists of various lessons that have a video, written materials, and questions for personal reflection. And inside This Is Me, we talk about uh, defining who you want to be and then staying inside that definition. We discuss assertiveness skills, how to stay strong without being defensive. If you would be interested in, in, in enrolling in this course or any of the others that we have, go to our website, click the courses link, and you'll receive all the information for how you can enroll. I hope you would find them to be quite helpful. And now back to Surviving Narcissism with Dr. Carter. Yeah, the majority of people that come into your office or mine are the ones who are having to figure out what to do with those folks. Right. As opposed to them saying, hey, look, I know that I tend to ridicule people. Uh, help me help me figure that out. They don't do mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Right. Or it's people that come in and say, what am I doing wrong in my relationship? Because they've been told by this toxic person that they're the problem mm -hmm. or their anxiety, ADHD or depression is weaponized against them. And they're told, well, if you didn't have this, then our relationship should be fine. So they come in and say, you know, I need help, you know, with fixing this part of me. And it turns out they're not the issue. You, you hit such a large nail on the head when you say that these are control-based individuals. And, and really what it comes down to is they feel they fear being powerless. They, they fear being a nobody or insignificant. Right. Um, and, um, you know, when somebody comes on, it, it, I think it was Shakespeare, his fine self, who said, uh, me think is thou protested too much. Uh, mm -hmm. when they, when they come on way too strong, like you can't say that about me. It's like, well, mm -hmm. why is that such a big issue to you? Uh, right. but these are fear-based fear individuals, but their mm -hmm. anger and their harshness and their control might give the appearance of something otherwise. But right. deep down, you got a scared little boy or scared little girl that's trying to hold on to their sense of power, and they'll do whatever uh, scheme by hook or crook that they have to do to get to maintain right. that power. I, I see it kind of as emotionally they're six. A six-year-old that says, well, you know what, I'm not going to share my toys. I'm going to stop and walk away or I'm going to have a tantrum. And and there's no emotion regulation. Um, they're, they are their emotions. They don't have a separate self from how they're feeling. Because again, ego dystonic, you feel a certain way. You go, you know what, I'm feeling sad right now. That's temporary. It's going to pass. This person embodies whatever they're feeling. So it engulfs them. And it can be very terrifying for people to be around somebody that has that level of anger that they almost seem to black out because they are that enraged. And that's that narcissistic rage that, that we talk about, that uh, they will go into a rage over a, just seems like no trigger at all. Yeah. Um, they will also do stonewalling where they ignore you, which is another form of narcissistic rage, uh, where they will sit across from you and just act like you're not even there, look right through you. 
Uh, and uh, and it's very scary for people to see that that someone can have that potential, especially when they would never have that behavior themselves. I think that's part of it too, is that I think this toxic person, they will seek out people that have empathy. They will try to, to mirror or absorb what they don't have. So I see people that um, that are very caring, loving people that um, that the toxic person will target, and um, and it's it's it can feel uh, like like someone's being hollowed out by this person. Yeah, you know, it's kind of sad and, to think that if you have really healthy skills and you're kind and loving, mm -hmm. uh, that narcissistic toxic person is thinking, "Ooh, that's candy to me." Right. And they're thinking, how can I take advantage of this? And the healthy person is thinking, how can I bring goodness? And you're on the same wavelength, are you? Right. I guess what makes it so hard to understand is that the, the victim of this person would never do this behavior. And I think also when, when you're an empathic person, you look at somebody's potential. But we really need to look at how is this person right now? And it's not what they say, it's what they do. They're telling you're the best person ever, but how are they treating you? That's something we really need to look at. Have they shown you courtesy, love, respect, dignity? Or are they just telling you the words that, that people like to hear? Yeah. I want to throw a, a phrase at you that uh, mm -hmm. I've used with patients and see, see what you think about this. There, there are okay. times when I tell folks, you, you need to build a little bit more pessimism into your way. <laughs> right. You know what I'm right. saying? And Right. And, and I think that applies to like in helping professions, any helping profession, you know, we wouldn't be in the profession we were in unless we thought people could change. Right. We look at, at, you know, we can what do people can grow to be, I but know that, that doesn't always apply well. in, in personal life. Hmm? I, I, I know we can get there and we'll, we'll do right. it. Yeah. Personal life's different, right? We need to look at where somebody's at. And yeah. yeah, I think having a realistic approach to that, that we can hope for the best, we need to be cautiously optimistic, but where is somebody at right now? Yeah. How are they treating you right now? Yeah. Yeah. We tend to start, start at the top thinking uh, we're going to make this thing a great relationship and enjoy each other's company. Mm -hmm. And then it's kind of only one way to go. And right. I mean, healthy relationships, it's, it's effort, but it's not work. And, and when you're in a toxic relationship, it's a lot of work. People will find they're not able to focus in other areas of their lives because of the energy that this toxic person is trying to siphon off of them because they're telling the victim it's their fault. So I've seen people you know, lose job promotions and to, uh, have a hard time with other relationships in their lives because all their energy is so focused on trying to make the toxic person happy because the toxic person's convinced them that if only they behaved better, uh, that the toxic person would be happy. But this is a person that's never going to be happy. You can tell a lot about a person by the way they manage conflict. Yes. And one of the things that healthy individuals, ideally anyway, would be able to do is think, okay, if you and I have a conflict, that means we're about to go into school. We get to learn mm -hmm. and right. we get to find out some things about one another that perhaps we didn't know. And we get to have a fuller perspective about where each other's coming from. Mm -hmm. And it, it may be a little awkward at first trying to figure it all right. out. But healthy individuals don't look at conflict as, what are you doing to me? Why are you saying that? Right. Whereas it's a two you against person, the issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That toxic person, as soon as I, as you indicate, I don't think or feel the same as you, mm -hmm. straight into that victim's role or why are you doing right. this to me or why are you so impossible? Right. Right. A healthy relationship isn't absence of conflict. It's, it's disagreeing with being able to sit down and talk it out and not bring it up later. 
you come to resolution and yeah, you don't use it as ammunition. I think that's the other thing about toxic people is they will take what's near and dear to you and use as ammunition. So they will ask you deeply personal questions very early on. What's your biggest fear? What's your biggest source of shame? Mm -hmm. And guaranteed when you get an argument, they'll say, oh, well, you know what? No wonder your sister doesn't talk to you because you act like this. Yeah. They're not asking you personal questions to build up emotional intimacy. They're using it as ammunition. Okay. Now I want to go back and pick up on something else you mentioned about mm-hmm. how they can hoover you back. Um, right. Not every toxic person is toxic all the time. Right. Uh, and so they can uh, have their moments where you think, I don't even want to see this person again. And then the next time you're with them, it's like, well, that was delightful. Or you can have a time where they were argumentative and another time where they say, hey, look, I, I, I had a headache that day. And so let, let's go back mm-hmm. to being normal. And mm-hmm. there's a term that we uh, can use that describes what that's all about. It's called intermittent reinforcement. Right. Uh, in other words, you know, if I know that every single time that I'm going to have a, a an argument, it's going to be bad. But then sometimes it's like, well, that, that was bad, but that wasn't too bad. And, and so there's a consistent inconsistency that right. can be there. Talk exactly. about that and, and what that can do sure. to the person. Sure. When you're with someone that is bad all the time, which, you know, that's very rare, but uh, this is not that person. This person will throw in positive reinforcement they will be in the middle of a a narcissistic rage and stop for a second and compliment you on some food you made for them i mean it really doesn't make sense uh and of course again as human nature is we blame ourselves that this person was great in the beginning and now they're treating us badly so it must be something we did that's just how we are as humans and we try to fix whatever it is not realizing that oh no matter what we do this person's still going to be upset Uh, So the intermittent reinforcement is something that the brain really gets hooked on. And that's that trauma bond of you have periods of cortisol, a stress producing hormone and adrenaline when there's violence, again, emotional violence includes. And then when you have the hoovering or the honeymoon phase, then you get the feel good chemicals of dopamine and oxytocin. So your brain is kind of hooked on that. And so someone, a trusted friend or relative will say, you know what, I don't know if this person's healthy for you. You can say, but you know, he's done some really nice things or he's a good parent or, you know, she does this for me or she, you know, she cooks dinner every night. And it's very confusing for the brain to go, oh, wait, the person that's causing the conflict also is the same one that's treating me well. That's the same person. It's almost like the brain uh, sees them as different people. So it's very confusing. It's kind of like when we talk about Stockholm syndrome, that you start sympathizing with your captor. Yeah. And it's it's something that a lot of, of this is the way the brain's set up. And and when I talk with clients, we talk about how this is a, a pretty standard process, normal process that the brain does when yeah. it's under trauma, is it can attach to the person that's causing you the trauma. Oh, your book again, but to remind our audience is healing from toxic relationships. And and, and when you use that that phrase, it's very confusing. That's music to their ears. It's like, mm-hmm. well. You see, if you're feeling confused, then that means you need me to step in and explain things to you. And right, you can't so, win. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, you oh, you're good. damn you, damn you, don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and then they tell you, well, if you just do this one thing, everything would be fine. So they'll say, well, if you just quit your job or if you just do this, and so the person will do that thing, but now there's another bar to accept. 
I, I remember so well, this woman was sitting in my office and she, it, it, she just kind of had one of those light bulb moments. And uh, she was talking about how she'd had a really bad uh, argument with a family member and it did not go well. And then she looked at me and said, do you know what I did at the end of that argument? I said, well, I, I think I'm about to find out. She said, <laughs> I apologized. I apologize for me being me, basically. And then as I walk away, it's like, I'm not the crazy one here. Why am I the one that's always <laughs> apologizing when that's right. the one who created all the havoc and was calling me names and all the rest? And then I right. walk away apologizing. Sometimes there's not a moment. Yeah, there's not a moment because people have a, I ask people, you know, what's your line in the sand? And sometimes it's, if they say something to my kids, if they, if they do something to my pet, if they, you know, so it's really important to figure out what's your line. And, and usually there's something that happens. It's an aha moment that says, wait a second, I'm not the one with the issue. And I just so saw you treat this other it? person like this. Hmm? That's so important. Yeah. Because that goalpost keeps moving, right? So, and the person learns that they're, if they're accepted back in the relationship, the toxic person learns, oh, so I can behave like this and they're good with that. So that becomes a new precedent. So then they'll push it even further. And if you if you take them back again or still remain in contact with them, then that's the new behavior that you'll tolerate. Okay. So they have very measured steps they take to see how long they can push the behavior, how outrageous their behavior can be. Const you. Constantly measuring you. Yes. Okay. Now, in your book, you talk a great deal about needing to practice self-care. So what what are the starting points and some of the what are some of the primary things that a person needs to do when they realize okay this person has been consistently inconsistent they've been difficult and I don't feel like I can be me around that person mm -hmm. what are some of the self-care thoughts that that person needs to walk away with first check in with your safety or do you feel physically safe do you need to remove yourself from the situation because you are in harm's way your children are in harm's way your pets are in harm's way uh, self-care is a right, not a luxury that we have to take care of ourselves. You know, there's the old adage of, you know, on an airplane, put your oxygen mask on before your kids. Yeah. Right. So we need to make sure that we take care of ourselves so we can do the other things we need to do in life. Uh, reconnect with people that you may have been isolated from. And I always refer to them as trusted friends and family, because sometimes people find out that the toxic person is unhealthy, but also the family that they've been hanging around or their friends have been hanging around are unhealthy too. And that can be almost as devastating, if not more, than the relationship with the toxic person falling apart. So reconnect with the people that you feel good around. And, and that might and, be a therapist too, right? Right. And that was my I say, go see a therapist because this, is, this can be a very complicated grief process. It's very complicated feelings of guilt and shame that this person has put on you. So it's really important to talk about it with someone, especially someone that specializes in narcissistic abuse. Uh, there's And there's going to be times where progress doesn't feel like it's happening. And I let people know that progress is not a straight line. There are going to be times where you feel like, I just can't do it today. And that's okay. It's okay to not be okay. And we need to give ourselves some, some freedom to heal the way we need to heal. And, and then just going to the doctor, getting a checkup, because a lot of people are in toxic relationships. A toxic person says, well, no, you know, you don't need to go to the doctor. You're fine. We don't have the money for that when they did. What the toxic person is trying to stop you from doing is to talk to somebody about what might be going on. Yeah, they don't, they don't like that, do they? Right. So we need to look at, you know, how are you doing health-wise? How's your thyroid? How's your sleep? 
how, you know, we need to do the basic healthcare stuff to make sure that we're, if we're going to go through this process of extracting ourselves from this, we need to be as physically healthy as possible. Yeah. You know, a favorite thing that I would have people do is, um, I would say, I want you to think about the, the primary characteristics, traits in your personality that you would like to have most predominant. And, and most people could come up with three or four. Well, I want to be more patient or I need to be understanding. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, keep going. And, and actually what I do, sometimes I give my homework assignment and it's like, don't even stop until you hit at least 20. Uh, what, are the, what are the primary mm -hmm. ingredients that you want to have in your personality? Um, because, uh, I, I want us to be real specific, um, whether it's respect or whether it's, um, uh, trustworthy or whether it's directive or, or, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, confrontive when necessary, assertive, etc. And then the second question is in what circumstances are you least inclined to be that way? And mm -hmm. if we can kind of zero in on the people and the situations where we're drawn away, like you were saying, from the kind of person we want to be, then that's where we know, okay, that's where I need to start my work. And then it means go back to your definition of you. Mm -hmm. Can you be true to who you are based on right. what you've said? This, this, this is the person I want to be. How does that relate then? And, uh, and so, you know, give yourself permission to have that self-defining kind of feature. Right. Yeah. Is this congruent with my values and beliefs? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that exercise is so important also to break down into bits and pieces. Who is this person that you're not feeling good around? Where are you at? Because it can feel like a big ball of, of trauma and a big ball of, of ick, for lack of a better word. It's my big clinical ball. term, ick. <laughs> and it really helps people delineate, you know, this is who I'm around when this happens. And yeah. that's a very important thing to look at. It's not if someone says to you, I don't know how they could do that. They're such a nice person. No, if you feel uncomfortable around this person, if you don't feel like yourself, if you feel like this person means you harm, then that person's not healthy for you, period. Yeah. I'm going to go back to that. Line one on page one, nobody expects to be involved in a toxic relationship. I, I think one of the biggest um, things that we have to, uh, hurdles we have to overcome is to realize, uh, I, but I want something that's so much better than this. And the mm -hmm. unfortunate thing is, well, wonderful, that's great, but there are just some people out there that don't have that same desire. Right. And, and we need to be honest about that, uh, even as we say, well, kind of like you were saying, well, then I need to find, you know, some some people that are, are going to be much more in the same category as where I'm at. But it means that you have to be your own healthy person first. Right. Right. Yes. And and that is a process. Yes. And it's not going to happen all at once. It's it's going to be in bits and pieces. But you really tell yourself you know, what I I got out of bed right away this morning. That's a win. Right. We need to look at those those bits of progress. It's not that you're going to wake up one day and go, everything's fine. I'm I'm healed now. It's a process of we take our wins where we get them. Yep. Right. And it's going to take a little while to build things back up again. But I have seen people go on to having happy, healthy, productive relationships after oh, yeah. or something like this. Well, that's why you and I do the work we do, isn't it? Mm -hmm. exactly. I mean, it's, it's, I mean it's, it's truly rewarding when mm -hmm. uh, you get somebody in your office and it's like, ooh, this person really gets it. Hey, right. End right. of the day, you turn the lights out, you go home. It's like, oh man, that was a good day. Mm -hmm. Or when someone says to me, you know what? I, I met this person. We had a disagreement. We talked through it and we're good. And that is the most beautiful day. Right. Yes. Or when someone says to me, you know what? It's kind of boring. And I like that. Yeah. You know, like we don't have the ups and downs. And 
I'm good with with us just kind of sitting on the couch and, and watching football or whatever. And that's that's where the good stuff is, right? Is that when you can be yourself and you can just spend time with someone and not have to deal with that loop of high highs and low lows that things yeah. are so pathetic. That's a win. Okay. Dr. Stephanie Sarkis, healing from toxic relationships. And we're just scratching the surface here. And, and, and I do want to say to my audience, and I'm not just trying to flatter you, this is a really good book. It's got a lot of information, good information in there. And, and I was mentioning to you before we came on the air, it's 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 laid out so well. And uh, I have a little OC in me. And, uh, and so when, when I look at something, it's like, this is well organized. It's like, I, I tend to notice that kind of stuff. So yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> you know, way too Thank you. I, well, I, I kind of yeah. noticed that. <laughs> okay. Well, all the way from Tampa, Florida, and you're coming into our homes and we so appreciate uh, the work that you're doing. And, and thank you for such good wisdom that you're sharing with us here today. Okay. You got yeah, another book you. out in there. So and that looks to me like we're going to have some more discussion. We need to do. Okay. Sounds good. Dr. Sarkis, thank you so much for being with us and to the rest of Team Healthy. I hope you have a good rest of the day. Uh, pick up on the book, Healing from Toxic Relationships, and I will see you guys next time. Bye now. Thank you for listening. Surviving Narcissism is the product of many years of work done by Dr. Les Carter. Dr. Carter is a best-selling author and therapist with more than 40 years of experience specializing in anger management and narcissistic personality disorder. You can find more content from Dr. Carter on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Surviving Narcissism, as well as on his website, survivingnarcissism.tv. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We are so glad to have you on Team Healthy.